0: are we there yet? It's a question uh, that we've begun to ask last week as we begin to look at the book of 1 Timothy and what it means for the family of God. Are we there yet? It's a question that if you've been asked as a kid or if you've been the adult that's then been asked, uh, you probably already know the answer because if you're asking the question, you know we're not there yet. And yet in the The word that we began last week, the the answer that God gives to us is that in Christ we have arrived. Salvation begins right now for those who are sealed in Christ Jesus. There's no waiting. We are there at our destination. But we also have a journey that we're in the midst of completing. And so we ask the question again today, are we there yet? And last week we heard, as as Paul was sharing with us his own life, we heard about the worst sinner. The absolute worst sinner. And Paul gives us a great description of this person. And just so that you know, they are not sitting next to you. They are not sitting in front of you. They are not behind you. There in the text, Paul claims the mantle himself. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. I am the worst. And I, I share this with you as a confession of my own sins so that you would know that God, having patience with me, also has patience with you and with everyone in the world. You see, Paul received mercy as an example for you and me that we too would receive mercy. And so our focus today is, is chapter 2 in First Timothy, and we're going to be taking a look at what is false and what is true, because in our world today, we are bombarded with messages more than any other point in the history of human knowledge, we know what's going on in the world. But do we know what's true and can we distinguish it from what's false? The the main point of our message is right here in the middle of the chapter when Timothy is receiving this word from Paul and we are receiving this word from the Holy Spirit. God tells us there is one God and there was one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Paul says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And the reality is that as we get bombarded by messages in our present age, we get trapped by false truths all the time. There's even a website dedicated to debunking false truths that you can go and you can type into its search bar and see, is this thing that got shared online true or false? And it's not just a modern problem that we've had to debunk some things, some false truths. It goes back quite a ways. In the amber waves of grain, it used to be common knowledge that aliens would come from other planets and put in the the fields all sorts of coded and hidden messages in these crop circles. And they were popping up throughout England, and then they were popping up around the world. And in 1991, a pair of gentlemen confessed that they were just going into the fields of their neighbors and friends And doing these crop circles. Maybe this one. You might have to squint your eyes to see it. But if you could look out on on Loch Ness. Can you see that monster. In the middle of the lake. You see. Back in 1934. It was guaranteed. Testified. A photo was taken. By a prestigious doctor. And he, he staked his. His claim, he said, I have seen the monster of Loch Ness. But it was just a hoax. It was a false truth. It was a a half truth, a lie. This next one's a video clip, and I want you to watch very carefully at what happens. Did you catch that? The groundsman tosses the ball, and the boy misses the ball, and the adult behind him picks it up. How does that make you feel? Like, this was shared last Sunday evening. And when I viewed it, six million other people had viewed the same video. Because this this Cubs groundkeeper, he's picking up the ball, and he's throwing it to the kid in the stands, fully expecting that the kid's going to be the one that gets it. And the adult in the row behind him picks up the ball and keeps it. This guy got lit up on social media. As he should, right? I mean, this 14-second clip tells you everything there is to know about the situation. Oh, no. No, it doesn't. Oh, no. But we were quick to judge, and I was too. I saw this clip the first time. I'm like, Cubs fan. Right? Of course the Cubs fan does that. But does it change the story if I were to tell you that this is the fourth foul ball that guy got that night? Does it change the story if two innings earlier the same guy snagged a foul ball and actually gave it to the boy in front of him? And that of the four foul balls that this man caught at the Cubs game last week, he gave all four away? See those two kids sitting to his right? They aren't his kids. But he gave each one of them a ball. I was ready to crucify him. And we did. This man received all sorts of threats. Even the Cubs broadcasters on television started roasting this guy on their audience. It became so bad that the Cubs, the organization itself, delivered to this little boy, signed baseballs from two of the biggest Cubs players to try to make right the situation which had never been wrong except in our perception of what had happened. And so we take a 14-second clip and we create the world out of it. Do you see how we can get trapped by false truths, by lies? And it's not even the big one. We've got to go back to Genesis 3 to to see the original lie. The serpent says to the woman, Surely you won't die. If you eat the fruit... You're not going to die. You're just going to know more than you knew before. And, and really, as an aside, really, if I eat this fruit, I'm going to die? God, that seems, like, that seems like a punishment that doesn't necessarily equate. God, that seems way more harsh than even I am with my kids you know so so i can't eat the fruit or i'll die and then the serpent comes along and says no you'll be fine and we hear the whispers in our own lives today you'll be fine you don't need what god gives you you don't need the gifts that he's delivered in baptism In confession and forgiveness, you don't need the Lord's Supper and the forgiveness of sins that he gives you. These are lies which the devil is going to whisper into our lives trying to convince us that we will not die. But the truth and the reality that we see all around us and maybe even in our own bodies is that we are, each one of us, dead right now in our trespasses and sins, if it were not for the cross of Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We each have lies in our lives and we each have struggles in our lives, but we are released from the lies by the truth. It's the whole reason God sent his son. John 1 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as as of the only son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus says in chapter 8 of the same gospel, if you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in the prayer that we heard from Jesus in our gospel reading, a little earlier in that prayer, Jesus prays to the Father for you, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Make them holy in your truth. And that's what God does to you in the reading of the word in the sharing of the bread and the wine, which are the body and blood of Jesus, in the washing and rebirth through the Spirit and the Word in baptism, in the gathering together right now that you've done this morning, he is making you holy. And in his Son, what's true now is true forever. Are we there yet by the power of God? Yes, we are. Certainly in my sin, I am still struggling on the way. Certainly in my relationships with other people. In my status as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a person just living in the community, I daily need to be forgiven of my sins. But I am made holy in the truth because I'm made holy in Jesus, and so are you. And our response to the truth is to share the truth. Timothy Timothy is urged by Paul. Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Not just the people you like. Not just the people you get a, 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 agree with. Not just the people you voted with, not just the people in Oxford or Orion or Michigan or the United States, all people. And Jesus would add in in other parts of the gospel, especially the people you hate, especially your enemies, especially U of M fans. He didn't say that, that's me. And why? Why do we pray for all people? Why do we give thanks for all people? Why do we intercede for all people? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. The false truth and the reality in 2018 is that the world wants you busy all the time. They want you going and moving and never resting, never receiving from God what only he can give. Paul says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All people means all people. Martin Luther says, it's a shame to pray to God for a mere pittance. The Christian ought to ask for great things and include all men in his prayer. God gives and bestows great things. He wants us to pray for great things. And this is where it's a struggle for you and me because we give different definitions to the word great. We're like, dear God, I need a boat. Dear God, I need a car. Dear God, I need a new home. Dear God, this. And that, and you're like, these are big things. I can't buy a boat on my own. I need God to help me buy this boat or this car or this house. And God tells us, don't think so small. Don't pray for the things that rust and moths can destroy. Pray for the things which exist unto eternity. You know, for 25 years, my dad had a boat, and every single year, he launched that boat, and it floated and moved. And if it didn't, he made sure that it did. And the first time that we launched the boat after dad passed, the first day it was in the water, it sank. God gives and bestows great things. He wants us to pray for great things. Pray for your salvation. Pray for the salvation of the people sitting next to you, the people sitting behind you and in front of you. Pray for the people that you work with, go to school with. Pray for the people that you drink with at the bar or the brewery. Pray for the people that that in every situation and in every case, you might be emboldened to share the gospel in a way that gets them to think, Wow, I have a God who loves me. Because that is weird in our world today. To love in a way that expects nothing in return. To love in a way that is full of grace and mercy and truth. Pray for eternity and things which matter for eternity. That's the end of the sermon. That's it. But Paul says something in the end of the chapter today. And we can't Who, did you hear that? Pastor Matt was just going to he was just going to end the sermon and not talk about all those things Paul wrote about women. Whew. No conflict here. We're just going to take those uncomfortable parts of the Bible that we don't like and we're just going to we're just going to let those be. Bye-bye. But Paul says some things at the end of the Bible or at the end of the passage today and it might make us uncomfortable because I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that as I was worshiping with you this morning I heard some of you women speaking and singing. You weren't silent. But but Paul's not talking about just be silent. Paul is talking about the primacy and the authority of the word. This is not a physical domination. It's not me putting you in your place, and it should never be that. It should be about the authority of God's word being the first word and the last word in your life. And then as I as I look out, I, I, I see some of you uh, with, I don't know, some little danglies in your ears and maybe some necklaces, and, and I'm pretty sure Paul was, was talking about some of that, but it's... It's a reflection on overabundantly relying on the things of the world instead of the word of the Lord. So these women that Paul is warning us not to be like would rely on their ornamentation, would rely on their jewels and their their hair and their, their basic presentation to be what earns them a place in the world. Luther talks about it at length, about how these women, these women that Paul was writing about, were using these flourishes as a foundation for their life. And Paul, Paul is not writing about what you wear to church or what you do in church. He's writing about what matters in church. The word matters. Y'all praise the Lord, male and female. Christianity, of all religions in the world, does not diminish the role of women. In fact, it lifts it up. If you were creating a false truth that you were hoping would exist for thousands of years like Christianity has, you would not have written that women found Jesus first. You wouldn't have. It was a male-dominated society, and yet the very Word of God, which we've received from Him, tells us that the first one to see Jesus alive after He rose from the dead was a woman. And the very first person to share the gospel were women. And the dudes didn't even believe them. We're still struggling today. It's the primal authority of the word. It's the word which matters. It's Jesus which matters. Are we there yet? It's a question on our minds as we think about our lives. Have we arrived? Is there still work to do? Obviously, obviously we have not arrived. We have work in our lives when we look in the mirror. But I want you to know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that the answer to this question is also yes. 100% yes for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been forgiven of your sins, set free from death and the power of the devil. You have been invited, invited by our Lord to feast on his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins, to live in this world as ambassadors, as proclaimers of his grace. And so when you ask the question of yourself, are we there yet? I want your answer to be God's answer. And in Christ Jesus, it is yes. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you abundant thanks for the gift of of truth that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that in all things we do, we might be able to see the truth in our lives that, that we are there Protect us from the false realities that Satan would put into our lives that that we can't do it, that we can't make it, that we're not righteous because you've given us all these things in Christ's righteousness. Help us this day to share your truth with our family and our friends and everyone we meet. This we pray through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.